0: Good morning, everyone. <clears throat> Welcome to Sunday service. I'm Swami Jyotish, and this is my wife, Swami Devi. Um, many of you know that Swami Kriyananda gave a talk in New Delhi last night, and so Devi texted Leela this morning to get the information, and Leela wrote back to the question, how did it go? She said, great, 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 1,500 people, beautiful people. So it was uh, very well received. He spoke on the role of Dharma in modern society. Dharma is righteousness. This morning I will read from Rays of the One Light. These are parallel passages uh, showing the similarities between the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita. And today's topic is, Can Man See God? Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. There is a saying in chapter 1 of the Gospel of St. John that would seem to respond with a definite no to the question, "Can Can man see God? The saying is, No man hath seen God at any time, The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Many great saints, however, claim to have seen God. If we ask then, can God be seen, rather than can man see God, the answer is yes, else all those saints lied, and the scriptures themselves lied. For Jesus also said, blessed are the pure in heart, For they shall see God. The point is, it is not man, this human body, these human eyes, that see God. God can be seen only with spiritual vision, the eyes of the soul. As the Bhagavad Gita in the seventh chapter puts it Thou canst not see me with mortal eyes, therefore I now give thee sight divine. Behold, my supreme power of yoga. With these words, Hari, the exalted lord of yoga, revealed himself to Arjuna in his infinite form. Paramahansa Yogananda, an autobiography of a yogi, <coughs> describes the supernal experience in words more readily comprehensible to the modern mind than the poetic phraseology of the Bhagavad Gita. The chapter, An Experience in Cosmic Consciousness, is one of the most inspiringly beautiful in all mystical literature. Here is a brief excerpt. By the way, if you haven't read that book, Autobiography of a Yogi, a real treat is in store for you. Here is a brief excerpt. An oceanic joy broke upon calm endless shores of my soul. The Spirit of God, I realized, is exhaustless bliss. His body is countless tissues of light. I saw the divine dispersion of rays pour from an eternal source, blazing into galaxies, transfigured with ineffable auras. Again and again I saw the creative beams condense into constellations, then resolve into sheets of transparent flame. By rhythmic transversion, sextillion worlds passed into diaphanous luster. Fire became firmament. I cognized the center of the imperium as a point of intuitive perception in my heart. Irradiating splendor issued from my nucleus to every part of the universal structure. The creative voice of God I heard resounding as om the vibration of the cosmic motor. This, so the great masters aver, is what God is, and this also they insist is what we are in our deepest reality. Thus through holy scripture God has spoken to mankind. Aum. Aum.
1: also want to welcome you, and especially those who have been with us this weekend for the first time. We had a big group taking the program, How to Have Inner Peace and Tranquility. We hope you found it. And, uh, and our other guests here on personal retreat. And also, I do want to acknowledge, um, this is a beautiful new carpet that many people work very hard. This was our community Christmas gift to... Uh, for everyone to enjoy and share, and it's just turned out so beautifully. So thank everybody who was involved with this process. So this is a wonderful topic. I, I think if we just read that passage from Autobiography of a Yogi over and over again, it would probably be the best sermon, but I would like it anyway. <laughs> so this is a prayer poem from Yogananda's Whispers from Eternity. This is called Doors Everywhere. O oh Father, when I was blind, I found not a door that led to Thee. Thou hast healed my eyes. Now I discover doors everywhere the hearts of flowers, the voices of friendship, memories of lovely experiences. Each gust of my prayer opens a new entrance to the vast temple of thy presence. Thank you. We were recently visiting our community in southern India in Pune and uh, we were meeting, having some programs and classes with uh, our Indian friends and devotees there and we were talking about autobiography of a yogi and we asked them, how did you find it? And it's, you know, Jotisha and I have had the wonderful opportunity of working with people all over the world as part of, our, part of our travels, whether it's in Croatia or Switzerland or Italy or Germany or India. And it's always an amazing story how that book finds its way into people's lives. Always unexpected un inexplicable how it just happened to be there in a place where it shouldn't have been and how people pick it up and read it, read it, and just say, this is answers the questions that have been <clears throat> plaguing me since childhood and, if truth be told, for many lifetimes. And so it was when we were recently in India that that's the devotees... Just, they walked. They had lost a, a child through some tragic accident and they were totally bereft, perhaps not wanting to go on living anymore. Someone hands them a book out of the clear blue sky. You must read this. And how it totally transformed their lives. And on the frontispiece of autobiography, Master has a very interesting quote from the Bible, from, Saint, from John. He says, Lest ye see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And that's in part what he does with the autobiography. There is chapter after chapter where someone is cynical or worldly or atheistic, and the story unfolds that they see signs and wonders and their lives are are changed. It begins in the very first chapter with Master's father, who was a uh, successful uh, executive for the Indian, uh, uh, an Indian, National Indian uh, Railway. And one of his little employees, Abhinash, comes to him and says, please, uh, Bhagabati, that was his father's name, may I go see my guru, Lahiri Mahashaya in Benares? And he said, why are you always going off to see these saints? Are you going to become a religious fanatic? And the little man humbly, you know, leaves, knowing he isn't gonna to get to go see his guru. And then Master's father is walking home and he comes to this is the very probably in the first ten pages of the book, he comes to a corn or a field of, of wild grass and wheat and he stops and there's like a shimmering, beautiful light. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. I know when I walk around in Nanda very often it's like, oh, my God, this is so beautiful. How can I doubt that God is here? And he sees this shimmering in the light. And who should appear before his eyes but Lahiri Mahashai, the great uh, saint that his employee wanted to go see. And the saint materializes there in a wheat field and says to him, "Magabati, you are too hard on your employee, and then disappears. And this, this he sees the signs and wonders, and he goes and he says to his, he goes back and says to his little employee Abinash. Abinash, not only do I give you leave to go see Lahiri Mahasaya, but I'm going too, and bringing my wife. And so they become disciples of Lahiri Mahasaya, and of course all the because of that, all the, it's like dominoes falling into place. And then they meet Sri Teshwar, and master is connected with this line of, of gurus. And then later in the book, the chapter, Swami Krinanda, our teacher and Ananda's founder, said it's really one of his favorite chapters, Two Penniless Boys in Brindaban, where Master's materialistic, atheistic, cynical older brother, Ananta, is uh, trying to divert Master from a life of renunciation, living for God, and he said, you're very casual about your father's wealth. But if you didn't have uh, money in your pocket, I uh, defy you that God would take care of you for a, a, one day. And I propose a challenge to you. I'm going to send you and a companion who will be a witness to Brindaban, which is a, a place, a sacred site in India, sacred to Lord Krishna. And he said, you must go. I will buy you a ticket, but you must go without any money. You must get all your meals there. You must see the sights of Brindaban, and then you must return home with a ticket. And if you return home having fulfilled all these uh, charges, I will accept initiation as your disciple, which is unheard of in Indian culture. The elder brother never accepts initiation from the younger brother. And Yogananda, without... We're missing a breath He just says, of course I accept your challenge Do you think God is His presence and his abundance in our life Is not unconditional and omnipresent And for those of you who know the chapter All of the requirements are fulfilled Beyond his wildest dreams He, he has served this feast That was prepared at an ashram For two royal princes And when they make feasts in India Believe me <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like 30 courses, and every dish is different and glorious and perfect. And so, and then a young man. So they have this feast, and then a young man, stranger, comes up to him and said, bows to Yogananda, who's just a teenager at this time. He said, "You are my guru. Please give me the the benefit, the the blessing of t- of paying for your touring around Brindaban." And so it goes. And then he buys him his ticket, and he returns home at midnight. And his brother says, uh, tell me, you had money hidden on your person. And he said, no, brother. He said, this was just as you uh, designed it. And his brother becomes very, very quiet. And at that time, at later past midnight, he accept, accepted initiation from Mukunda. And Makunda said the young boy had to shoulder the burden of two disciples on that day. Now, of course millions, millions of disciples around the world, even after his life passed. And um, star, another story, Heart of a Stone Image, where his brother-in-law, Satish, is cynical, and his sister is devoted. He takes him to this wonderful temple in outside of Calcutta, Dakshinishwar, made sacred to by Ramakrishna, for those of you who know. And his life is transformed through a series of miracles. But is that all it is? Lest ye see signs and wonders you do not believe? This great master Ramakrishna that I mentioned who had his uh, lived his life at this temple Dakshinishwar outside of Calcutta, very sacred place. We went there with Swamiji some years ago and meditated. Um, he had a disciple who, uh, in this temple. It's also known as Kali Temple. There's an image of Divine Mother. Kali means dark. And there's a certain aspect of Divine Mother that's worshipped in India where she's uh, very dark-skinned. And Ramakrishna would worship at this place. And Kali, there's a stone image that you can see, but this image of Kali would come alive to him every day. And one of his close disciples came to him and said, Master, please give me the blessing of having the vision of Kali, and Ramakrishna tries to put him off and put him off, and finally he agrees. Okay, and and in that night as this young man is meditating, he has a vision of the Divine Mother, and then he comes back in the morning to see his guru, Ramakrishna, and Ramakrishna looks at him rather dryly and says, Now what do you have? So you've seen the signs and wonders, but... Are you living it? Are you feeling it in your heart? Has it changed your consciousness? And so for us as devotees, we don't want to be those people who need signs and wonders to believe. We want to show God, if you never come, I know you love me. I know you are there. And I will choose to see you. I will find a way to make you a visible form in my life. I have some good friends who are avid bird watchers. And what are the rules of seeing birds? You have to go where the birds are. You have to have a really good pair of binoculars. And you have to be patient. And so, if we want to see God, we have to go where God is. And where is God? just as we were reading. He's ever new joy. He's a light that radiates from the nucleus of our own being. So if we want to go where God is, we have to choose. I will live in joy. One of my favorite quotes of Yogananda, it's in metaphysical meditations. He says, life is a battle for joy every step of the way. Let me win that battle on the spot where I now stand. So if we want to see God's joy, we have to meet him halfway. We have to live in joy. We have to choose joy. We have to repudiate moods and depressions and self-pity and depending on other people to make us happy all the time. It's not that we can't draw from our friends, but we have to realize, I've got to stand on my own two feet. Someone once asked Swami Kriyananda, what is the most important yoga posture? and he said to stand on your own two feet. Great answer. But I remember some years ago when we were helping the te- we were part of the team helping get the work started in Assisi, Italy, where we now have a wonderful community. It was very isolated at the time. There were just about 6 of us. We were living in a very small, remote, unheated building in the middle of winter. We had no connection with, it, it was a challenging time. I, I don't, won't go into all the horror stories, but now we have a beautiful community and it's easy. But I remember going, getting down and discouraged and depressed. And I would wake up every morning and I would, ah, darn, another day. And then I would think, yeah, but you know, you've been in a worse place before. You can handle this. And this went on and on. And then finally one morning I woke up and I thought, you know, I think you're breaking new ground here. I don't think I've ever been this discouraged before. (laughs) And I got scared. And I thought, I've got to turn this around because it's getting stronger than I am by just sort of watching this mood overcome me. And I did everything I could. It was just after Christmas and I got out. I found a Christmas card that someone had given us that said joy. And I taped that on our window of our little unheated room, and I just said, okay, this is it, and I just fought for that joy. I did everything I could, and you know it worked. In a couple of weeks, I went into a period of causeless happiness, of just just joy that flowed through me no matter what, no matter what happened, and it, it was we, if we want to see God, we have to go where he is. We have to live in joy. We have to eschew people that bring you down and discourage you and, and diminish you and make you feel unworthy or uh, don't support your highest aspirations. Those people are like poison, even if they're your family and friends. If someone belittles your effort to live a spiritual life, you just have to say, thank you, goodbye, I this is too important to me to compromise it by your materialism and cynicism. And you know what? If you do that, they will change. They will change. I have an older brother who's a very good man but was very, mm, I don't know what word to use, unsupportive. Let's try that one, of, of my choice in life. And um, just never, he, he always kept hoping I would walk away from it And then he lives in Los Angeles, and we were down there for some months last year. And um, he surprisingly came to one of the Sunday services that we were giving. I didn't expect to see him there. And then I looked, he was sitting over way on the side, and I looked over him at one point. I doubt that you're watching, Eddie, but if you are, (laughs) I think it's okay if I tell this story. Um, He was weeping. He was just crying, and I've never seen him cry. And he came up to me afterwards and he said, I haven't cried since our mom died in 1989. And he said, but seeing what you've done with your life, how you found what was important to you and you stuck with it, he said, I can't tell you what it means to me. So I didn't expect that. But if we are true to what we believe in, it uplifts everyone around us. So... Live in joy. Look for the light. Look for God wherever you can see him. In the, as it said in that passage, in a flower. I love to walk around Ananda. Every day you can see a miracle. If it's a little calf or a beautiful flower or reflections on, in the uh, water on the road. It's, it's just look, go where God is if you want to see him. So that's the first step. The second step, that's what the bird watchers do. The second step is they invest in really good binoculars. What does that mean? It means we have to get our inner sight really good. We have to meditate, get the lenses of our spiritual eye all polished, get all the grit off of them, and focus, focus. And that's where meditation comes in. Some of you maybe have learned meditation for the first time. Do it. Just do it. Even if it's five minutes a day, ten minutes a day, the more you do it, the more you'll enjoy it, and the more you'll get out of it. But it gives you the ability to be centered in yourself, where, as Yogananda described in that wonderful passage, he realized that the heart of all creation, the center of all creation, was a point of intuitive perception within the human heart. And so, if we want to know that supernal bliss, the radiations of light that touch the farthest tissue of infinity, we have to go within because that's, Christ said too, people look here and there, but lo, the kingdom of God is within you. He was saying the same thing. He knew he was an illumined master, just as all of anyone who has made the effort to find God. So we need to go where God is. We need to have our good set of binoculars. And then we need to be patient. We need to say, God, I am in this for the long haul. This lifetime I give to you. Whether I make it or not, I'm not questioning that. All I know is I have made a commitment. And you in your grace, when it is in your wisdom, in your unconditional love, when you want me to see you, there, that moment will come. Just as the beautiful song that Chaitanya sang at the beginning, I was caught up in ecstasy. It was a day sanctified by God. Master tells us that that day will come to each and every one of us. If we choose to keep looking, keep calling, don't be deterred no matter what happens. Any human catastrophe, Master said there are no obstacles, there are only opportunities. Anything that befalls you, you say, God will walk through this together, and at the end, I will be free of a big chunk of karma. And to just realize behind everything that loving presence. You know, I had an interesting experience when we were recently in India. Very personal, not very exalted, but I'll share it because it was very, to me it was very significant. We had both gotten sick while we were in India. I had uh, what's euphemistically known as deli belly, which is, you know, uh, <laughs> and I was running a little fever, and uh, and and we didn't we didn't have where we were was pretty remote, so we didn't have access to a lot of medical help. And so I was laying on this lying on this little couch during one day, and Jantish was up in the loft, kind of coughing and coughing. He got kind of more lung bronchial thing, and I had more intestinal thing. And I was just lying there and I wasn't feeling too well and there wasn't really anybody to kind of help, you know. And then I started having this memory of something I have not thought about probably, this is probably for 55 years. And it was, I was almost like transported to the rat skeller, the fixed up basement of my parents' home where I grew up. And I I saw it in absolute detail, and I hadn't realized it, but I, there was the, um, I had an uncle who was an artist, and my father had had him come and paint these nice murals all over the walls, and then there was a little, I remember when my father brought down the television... He was so proud. We were not wealthy people, but he got a television for us, and he put it down there so my brother and I could watch, and then he got a ping-pong table, and little by little, he had fixed up that basement. So it was a wonderful play area for the children, and all our friends would come over, and then I remember he put in a little bathroom down there. That was it. And I realized, I hadn't realized that all growing up, that all the energy he had put into creating that space for us children... And then I, my father died many years ago, 72. And I began thinking, gosh, he was always watching out for us, and I never thought about it. And then it kind of got bigger. And there I was, sick on this kind of funky couch in a you know, a relatively dirty, isolated room in India. And I just thought, the Heavenly Father has always been there always, always, and I just never saw it, and I started getting better, and I I just felt that energy of support that was underlying everything, and it sounds like such a simple thing, but it was so vivid in my mind, that experience, and I didn't even know those memories were in there, and so just to realize when we are in need, draw just as master said on past happy experiences on this voice of friendship use that as memories as experiences that you can refer to and make it bigger this was divine mother taking care of me this was heavenly father taking care of me this was divine mother dancing in the spring tulips all of these things and As Christ said in the Beatitudes, blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. And if we have the courage to say, I give up my doubts, I give up my materialism, I give up my cynicism, and I am going to live with the expectation, with the knowledge that I am a child of God, and then I will see him, we will see him, In every moment of our lives, we will see him because ultimately, that is who we are. How could we not? Gyanamata said, one of Master's most advanced women disciples said, your own will surely come to you. In fact, you cannot avoid it. What is our own? God's presence within us. So let's go forth in perfect faith that we will see him. And we will know the joy of his presence within us in this lifetime.